This is an AMI podcast. Keep the conversation going off the air. Your voice matters. Email feedback at AMI.ca or connect with us on Twitter at AMI-audio and let us know what you think about our programming. I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. While Muslims and people with disabilities routinely face discrimination in Canada, to be both Muslim and disabled means the oppression is interlocking. The disability community is often urged to be inclusive of intra-group differences. More needs to be done within disability activism to incorporate Islamic perspectives on disability inclusion. Moreover, many faith-based institutions still have a long way to go in order to fully ensure the participation of people with disabilities in their facilities and services. Traditionally, people with disabilities have been seen as passive recipients of pity and charity. There is a conceptual void that needs to be filled, recognizing people with disabilities as active change makers. Today, we discuss Islam and disability. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. And welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. My name is Juwita Gupta, and I'm very pleased to be with you today. Just a friendly reminder that if you'd like to keep up with the latest AMI-audio programming related to COVID-19, you can visit ami.ca forward slash COVID-19. We've got a very exciting guest for you today, and I'm so pleased to be talking with her in just a few moments about the linkages between religion, uh, such as Islam and other faith-based communities and people with disabilities, because I recognize that religion can play such a central role in the lives of so many people with and without disabilities. My guest today is Rabia Khadr, who wears many hats. Rabia is the president of Dean Support Services and the founder of the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities, which is CAMD for short. Rabia, welcome to The Pulse. It's really wonderful to have you with us. Well, thank you for having me. Pleasure meeting you. It's a pleasure meeting you as well, in a manner of speaking. Let's start out by talking about Dean Support Services. What is it? Dean Support Services is a direct service agency established by Muslims with disabilities to serve Muslims and others, anyone with or without a faith affiliation with living with a disability. Um, and DEAN actually stands for Disability Empowerment Equality Network. And in some languages like Urdu, Punjabi, uh, Arabic, it means faith. Mm-hmm. And many organizations have a service delivery arm, but they also have an advocacy and public relations arm. What is the relationship between DEAN Support Services and the Canadian Association for Muslims with Disabilities? The Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities uh, CAMD emerged in 2004 and started to do some research, awareness raising, uh, and, and advocacy work within the Muslim community and in the mainstream to, again, highlight uh, intersectionality, the fact mm-hmm. that people with disabilities uh, aren't just disabled people, that they have all these other aspects them that need to be understood 
appreciated and responded to when it comes to service delivery. So, you know, Muslims with Disabilities essentially established Dean Support Services as a charity, as a direct service provider. And that's where the relationship began, and that's where the relationship sort of, you know, has moved beyond. Mm. Let me trouble this a little bit more, uh, Ravia, because it's it's fair to say in a theoretical sense that intersectionality is important. But if you take my example, I'm visually impaired. Some of the services that I need um, would be orientation and mobility, maybe computer training, job training. Um, what is the import when you consider the delivery of these services, to name a few, of taking into consideration that intersectional model that we just talked about? Well, and, and you're talking about employability skills, right? So employability mm-hmm. skills might be the same, but we also need uh, some soft skills training, for example, if we are a newcomer, right, with vision mm-hmm. loss, uh, where our cultural experience, our lived experience might have looked very different. And we may have been employed in a very different uh, sheltered environment, perhaps, and, and, and quota-based system. And here we, we need to work in a competitive way. Um, also being brought up in uh, ethno-racial uh, cultural households, uh, if we're learning uh, daily living skills, that might look very different. It, it may not be just me and, you know, my parents and my dog. It may be me, my parents, my siblings, my aunts, my uncles, my, my grandparents. We might be an intergenerational household given our family dynamics and our cultural context. Uh, Mm -hmm. We might have certain customs and rituals uh, based on on cultural identity, based on uh, identity of faith that impact how we practice hygiene, for example. So Mm -hmm. those things need to be taken into consideration when services are delivered to, to, to people from a range of diverse communities. We know as well that people with disabilities face barriers and challenges in a number of walks of life. In education, we talked about employment briefly, finding housing. How does being Muslim and disabled come into play in those scenarios? Are there particular challenges that go unremarked upon? Well, again, today we know that Islamophobia is real and uh, we know that, you know, uh, ableism still prevails. We know that people with disabilities are substantially devalued in society. Even under COVID, we, we see the emergency measures having adverse impact on people with disabilities. Uh, some of the rules and regulations uh, coming out uh, are ha- have have significant impact on, on people with disabilities living in supportive housing and in uh, care facilities and congregate facilities. We know for a fact that, again, people with disabilities are the last ones that the government is finally responding to with uh, emergency resources. And, and still, you know, people with disabilities are going to be waiting until late fall, maybe, to even access mm-hmm. those resources when everybody else got them in real time. So mm-hmm. society overall still devalues people with disabilities. Um, and, and we know even from a recent decision, actually, uh, an investigation of, a, of an individual with, with illness who was alive and was uh, arrested and held in a prison while waiting to be transferred to a hospital bed, to a psychiat- psychiatric bed. Uh, he was beaten by several guards in a prison and mm-hmm. 
the police investigation has resulted in nobody being charged because they couldn't blame one specific person for his death. Mm-hmm. So we That's realize that you know people with disabilities are significantly still devalued. And Mm -hmm. when you add race, when you add Islamophobia, anti-Semitism, racism, you know, anti-black racism to the equation, people with disabilities are even more vulnerable in our systems and structures and on a daily basis, fighting Mm -hmm. constantly on multiple fronts. And the other really unique thing um, is, is the fact that as people with disabilities, when we have a cultural identity, a racial identi- uh, identity marker, uh, a, a spiritual or religious uh, affiliation, we face discrimination in the dominant culture because mm-hmm. of our race and disability and, and whatever other identity markers. And then we face discrimination even within our community. So it's sort of on, on two frontiers, you know, mm-hmm. that within the Muslim community, I am a disabled woman. I am mm-hmm. not a woman with a disability, right? Mm-hmm. I'm only recognized for my disability. Um, within my cultural community, again, I'm South Asian, I'm Pakistani, I was born there. Um, mm-hmm. I am, you know, amongst, you know, my cultural community. Again, I'm just a woman who is disabled, who is blind. And mm-hmm. that's, how I've, that's how I'm seen. So people mm-hmm. don't look at who I am in, in all these elements of me. I'm not saying that my disability should be invisible. I'm actually, you know, not wanting people to, you know, not recognize the fact that I have a disability. Um, what, what I don't want people doing is ignoring the color of my skin to say that they don't see color. I don't want people to say that they don't see my disability. Um, I'm blind. I need people to recognize that, but I need them to respect it as well. I don't need them to think it's amazing or or inspirational. It just is a fact. And Mm -hmm. as a a, a racialized woman, I want them to see my skin color. I am not colorless. Mm -hmm. One of the things I wanted to ask you about, Ravia, is what I struggle with as a South Asian woman with a disability. Um, is the fact that I want to be able to talk about ableism and disability inclusion within the South Asian community, but do so in such a way that I don't inadvertently reify stereotypes about the community that I come from. Because there's a lot of, there's often a misperception out there about people of color being backwards or um, not being very progressive. And I want us to, I, I have often struggled myself with trying to reconcile the need to talk about disability inclusion within those communities without also creating a, a perception or a misperception that those communities are somehow backwards or lesser than. How do you feel? Oh, absolutely. I I completely hear you. Um, I recognize that the work has to be done, has to be done in a very strategic and careful way. The fact is, we recognize even in the dominant culture that attitudes are the greatest barrier. Now, attitudes in the dominant culture are are a little more uh, hidden, invisible, um, sublime, um, systemic, but not in your face. Uh, cultural communities have different ways of communicating and expressing. The culture that I come from, um, you know, my South Asian culture overall, and you may or may not agree with me, uh, and I would say even other, you know, Southern and Eastern cultures, 
we're more emotional, we're more passionate, mm-hmm. we wear our hearts on our sleeves. So we we just show the pity party as opposed to the dam- dominant culture, which will mask the pity party. My name is Juwita Gupta and my guest today is Rabia Kader, who is the president and CEO of Dean Support Services. Rabia Dean Support Services is putting on a conference uh, coming up very shortly What can you tell us about the conference? What made you decide in the middle of a pandemic that you really wanted to organize this conference? Well, you know, I'm a big believer. I go around throwing this phrase often that every obstacle is an opportunity. And COVID, this pandemic, has certainly created a lot of obstacles, but it it has also uh, recharged and and re-energized people to think out of the box. And it is creating opportunities. It's, it's making us think beyond uh, the unimaginable because a pandemic was unimaginable to us. It wasn't a part of the 2020 conversation. So we've been mm-hmm. wanting to hold a conference for a very long time. And the obstacle we faced in holding a conference was essentially um, the format of it. it. We were imagining it to be an in-person conference. We wanted, you know, Speakers. We wanted prime speakers to come from different parts with different expertise. And cost would be tremendous to hold an in-person conference. You know, there would be the venue, the food, the on-site accommodations, the travel, the hotel, yada, yada, yada. So we're looking at thousands of dollars to hold a conference. Well, in today's virtual world, Zoom is very affordable. Zoom Mm -hmm. is globally accessible if people have internet access. So we are holding our first global annual conference on disability in Islam because we feel that we really need to have a conversation where we dissect um, what uh, disability representation rules, regulations, attitudes, expressions, experiences, journeys, stories are within our spiritual tradition uh, dissected from our various cultural experiences and and myths and and attitudes. Mm. And who are some of the speakers at the conference? Well, we have uh, our own Canadian Dr. Ingrid Matson, who is a renowned Uh, Muslim academic scholar. Uh, She was actually the head of one of the largest Muslim organizations in the United States for a long time. Uh, She teaches uh, out of of the London region right now. Um, And she has uh, talked about and written about um, dogs, service animals. And that's a hot topic often within our communities because we have all these cultural perceptions and misperceptions of interacting with dogs specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, Although in our religious tradition, uh, the the faith is very clear on the use of dogs uh, to serve humanity. And, Mm -hmm. And so we feel, you know, that... That kind of enlightenment is important, although that's not a specific topic in this conference. That's one of the examples that she's shed light on to make people think differently. So, you know, we want to push the bar and have her talk about how we need to think differently and act through our places of worship 
uh, you know, the action that needs to be taken by our religious leadership, by our um, uh, our imams, uh, in order to help with this journey of becoming more inclusive and accessible globally as Muslims with and without disabilities to take responsibility for accessibility and inclusion. When is the conference taking place? Is it too late to register? Oh, no, it's not too late uh, because it's virtual. You know, sky's the limit. Uh, <laughs> I think Zoom's limit is like 10,000 people. Um, and we will also be going fo- live on social media as well. The conference is next Tuesday. It's an all-day global conference. And, you know, what's exciting about it is we have presenters from Canada, from the U.S., uh, from uh, some European countries like Sweden, from mm-hmm. Nigeria, and I think uh, uh, some some East African countries, from Pakistan. Uh, we received uh, a lot of abstracts, and it was very difficult for us to uh, dwindle down into who presents, but we did our best to have geographic representation uh, representation of, of diversity of people with disabilities and academics and, um, you know, uh, topics. So, so mm-hmm. for example, the, another important topic that we're tackling, which in many cultural communities is, is really, really important, is marriage and disability. Mm-hmm. That's a big one. That probably needs its own conference, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> Um, you know, one of the things, yeah, well, one of the things you talked about uh, just a few minutes ago that I would be remiss not to pick up on is uh, the role of faith-based communities in disability inclusion work. So when I think about my own visits to the temple, there is not an elevator in sight, no Braille, no automatic door openers, just flight after flight after flight of stairs. So how do we engage a conversation with faith leaders where we shift the conversation away from people with disabilities need our pity and or charity to people with disabilities need to be a part of the community? In fact, they're leaders in the community. Well, again, that conversation needs to start from within. People with disabilities and their allies and advocates within specific faith communities need to come together. This, this, is, this is how our journey started. So we brought together a number of people with disabilities and families, and we started to talk. We also found um, leaders within our mosques and Islamic centers and organizations who had family members with disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and we tapped into their capacity to reach out and connect and to support the work that we're doing. Um, that's how, how we built up. And, you know, we, we got their buy-in because it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing religiously to do, uh, and it's the right thing legally to do. There's a legal obligation for public facilities to be accessible for people with disabilities. Um, and people also need to recognize that as they age, they also acquire disabilities and their places of worship become more and more significant to them, in fact. I'm speaking to Rabia Kader, who is the president and CEO of Dean Support Services and the founder of the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities. Rabia, you've also served as um, a politician, a leader in your community, and perhaps most recently as a commissioner on the Human Rights, Ontario Human Rights Commission. 
you've had such an expansive conversation with me today about the need to think about intersectionality. But I feel, again, it's just a personal reflection that the law really struggles with the concept of intersectionality. Often we come across competing rights. So how does the law reconcile this need to think intersectionally? Well, well, just, you know, I, I can't speak as, as any particular expert. I only speak as an advocate. Um, my political career was simply campaigning. I didn't serve in any capacity as a politician. I, I serve as somebody who rocks the boat and asks difficult questions. Uh, in human rights tradition, you know, we have about 17 gra- grounds for discrimination now. Uh, our federal charter has equality provisions and absolutely agreed. Um, there is uh often not a clear understanding of intersectionality and there can be uh competing rights at play and we've seen examples of those rights and then you know those conversations can be had and that, and and that's the beauty of a human rights based approach to how we um govern our society uh that we do have a, a human rights system within which uh, we can have these difficult conversations and to, and resolve the issue of competing rights. Um, but often, you know, there, there, there really aren't competing rights. We just need to come to a common understanding of each other's rights and learn how to share them, in my mm-hmm. opinion. Well, that's a, a really interesting place to leave the conversation. And on the topic, uh, on the point of sharing ideas and, and thinking, just remind us again about the conference, the date. And if you could also let us know how we go to sign up, that would be great. Okay, so the information about the conference is available on our website. So it's www.dean, which is D-E-E-N, supportservices.ca, uh, first global conference on disability and Islam. Um, there's a link to register there, and then uh, registration confirmation email uh, will give people the details on how to access the conference. The conference is taking place next Tuesday, August the 18th, from about 9 a.m. to about 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is a global conference. We will have speakers joining us from Sweden from Qatar, from Pakistan, from Nigeria, from, I believe, Uganda uh, or Tanzania, from uh, the United States and, uh, of course, right here, Canada. And, and the most exciting piece for us is we will be launching our latest research report. Dean Support Services will be launching its latest research report at this conference. Wow, this is, it just keeps getting better. Rabia Keter, thank you so much for being with us on the program today. The time has really flown by, and I do mean that, honestly. Thanks a lot for being with us today. Thank you. That was Rabia Keter, who, as I said at the top of the program, wears many hats, amongst them the president and CEO of Dean Support Services, and she's also the founder of the Canadian Association of Muslims with Disabilities. They've got an upcoming conference that we spoke about in some detail today. The conference takes place on August 18th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and you can go online to the website www.deansupportservices.ca to get yourself registered if you'd like to attend. They've got uh, participants and presenters from all corners of the world. If you missed any of my conversation with Arabia, don't worry about it. We've got that link for you and that conversation for you on your favorite podcast platforms. As a woman of color with a disability, 
I have struggled as an adult to find a way to bring the various facets of my identity together. Because you are never just a woman of color. You are never just a person with a disability. And I think the kind of conversations that we're having today with Rabia and others are so important in having a holistic and well-rounded understanding of who people with disabilities are and what disability activism looks like, feels like, and sounds like. I'd like to thank Ravya Khader for being the guest, our guest on the program today. Our technical producer for The Pulse is Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening. You can follow AMI-audio on Twitter at AMI-audio. You can also follow me on Twitter at Chuita Gupta. I hope to hear from you and please stay in touch and be safe. You've been listening to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Have a wonderful rest of your day. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.